If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. I'm Kim Hakem, your host. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome to and security for all and for all of our regular viewers welcome back to another great show happy fall everyone we here in the midwest are having an amazing sunny fall day around 60 which is awesome for us it's kind of crazy yesterday it was i think 80 85 now today it's been 55 60 so crazy like trying to figure out how to gauge your day what are you going to wear are you going to put your heat on or your air on so it's been crazy climate times um i just came back from boston yesterday and that was another we had our uh we had our annual cybersecurity conference um there on wednesday for those of you that don't know by now um i am the ceo of futurecon events we put on cybersecurity conferences all over north america in about 30 different cities so it was nice to get back to boston hadn't been in boston since 2019 so it was a little rainy in boston but it was still great to be there and see all of our old friends and new friends in boston so um Thank you to all of our attendees that were out there. We're actually winding down the year. Um, We've been on a pretty fast pace of tons of back-to-back events. We were making up a bunch of um, venue reschedules from 2021. So we're finally winding down and a little bit for 2021, but it's been so nice this year to see for the past year because we've been out on the road since last August. It's been nice to see all of our friends and our sponsors and so many of our new friends that we made this year. We're now ramping up for 2023 with all of our sponsors. We're looking for our future keynote speakers, our panelists. So please, please ping ping me out there if you're interested in any of our future events as far as um, speaking. So um, and for all of our listeners, we're going to be all over the country next year. So we hope that you can find us and show up at one of our shows. We'd love to see you all. Today, um, I have a guest that I'm very excited about. I have uh, Carlos Salas. He is an engineer manage- manager from Nordlayer, Nord and he is tuning in with us today all the way from Lithuania. He uh, um, grew into a software architect with AWS Cloud Specialist due to his passion and curiosity for gadgets and connectivity since he got his first Nintendo at the age of four. So we've had lots of guests that have had that same story. His experience has been um, being a founder of a fast-growth startup affected by the economic and currency fluctuations. He's a visionary engineer from a nonprofit developing Starlink alternative. He formed scale. He led DevOps, R&D, development, system ad, DBA teams in multiple countries like U.S., Mexico, Puerto Rico, Spain, France, Estonia, Lithuania. And in his free time, he's passionate about improving the UX of everyday tools 
for disabled. So today we're going to talk about a little bit about where he is in Lithu- uh, Lithuania and some of his history, but excited to um, have him on the show. We're going to talk about how to transition your organization into SSE. So welcome to the show, Carlos. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, we're happy too. Sorry about last week. We had some technical difficulties, but um, pre-show, we were just kind of talking a little bit about Lithuania and I, I honestly, shamefully to say, I really couldn't in my mind figure out where Lithuania was, but it wasn't that hard once you kind of gave me some um, advice because it feels like that little trifecta above Russia. There's lots of little countries. So yeah, very yeah. interesting. And um, so how have you guys been, have you guys been affected at all? Like um, technically or anything with everything happening in Ukraine? Mainly we haven't been like directly affected by this. Of course, there's a lot of uh, fear. There's a lot of uh, tension in the air all the time because, well, uh, Ukraine was a start. Who knows who is uh, what, who's going to be next, what's going to be uh, happening next. Uh, we are very nearby to an enclave that is called Kaliningrad here just up north from Russia, and at the South Belarus, which is uh, one of the main, um, well, let's say satellite countries for Russia. Um, technically speaking, speaking about cybersecurity, a uh, couple of months ago, there was some hacking attempts to some of the, the well, let's say national uh, govern- governmental websites, it wasn't something very big because, of course, they were very well prepared for that. They they were expecting that something like this was happening, especially that because it has happened before to other uh, Baltic countries, especially, for example, Estonia. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, uh, knowledge on this side. And, of course, uh, NATO has been also helping to try to uh, safeguard also cyberspace, not, not only physical space. Yeah. And sorry about that. I, to be quite honest with all my uh, audience that they see us all the time, I um, ate a peanut M&M right before the show started and that little nut got stuck in my throat right when I was introducing you. So sorry about that. But um, it's very interesting to me, speaking of Estonia, because, you know, they had, we were talking about in 2017, you know, they had a an attack that put them down, what you said, for like a week. Um, what kind of lessons did you guys learn? And can you, can you do you have a lot of knowledge of what exactly happened with that? And what are you guys doing as a smaller country to make sure that doesn't ha- happen to you? Yeah, well, mainly it was uh, kind of like a DDoS attack, the distributed denial of service against the whole uh, Estonian cyberspace. Uh, there were some things that were uh, single points of failure. There were some other things that were uh, not very well prepared to receive this amount of uh, traffic. So one of the first things that other countries like Latvia, uh, Lithuania, Poland uh, also were starting doing was uh, to start uh, safeguarding those things that already were happening. I mean, of course, after the post-mortem, after we knew exactly what was going on, it was very easy to pinpoint the uh, the things that were not working 
uh, on Estonia. And as we can see, I mean, it worked. They tried to do the same with uh, Lithuania. And uh, it was nothing more of a, a little bit of a slowness on the, on the network. Maybe if you wanted to go in and log in into the uh, IRS office, it was a little bit uh, hard to get in. But besides that, everything was fine. And later on, yeah, the government came out and say, hey, you know what? Uh, they tried to get into our systems, but we detected it and we blocked them. And yeah, they were coming, those connections were coming from Russia. So how do you safeguard your infrastructure now when you are right above, you know, another Belarusa? Um, is that how are you safeguarding your infrastructure and are you having any any like um, pushback from what happened with Ukraine and like with their network issues that I assume are probably completely down. None of that, None. you're not connected to any of their networks or I, I'm not exactly sure how the infrastructure of the internet goes in that region of the world. Well, actually uh, Ukraine uh, cyberspace, Ukraine infrastructure regarding the internet it was very resilient. It's still on in most like uh, uh, cities, especially for example in Kiev, which is like the, the capital. It's still possible to get connection from there. Some from other places, it's a little bit harder. But uh, for example, they have Starlink uh, solutions to be able to to connect. And of course, four uh, uh, G, five G communications are still on in most of the country. So yeah, it's uh, it's not completely down. It's the, the whole infrastructure is still uh, resisting. So it's it's uh, they did a good job uh, securing their infrastructure, which is awesome because we do see communication, you know, from their their um, capital still. So I guess I was <clears throat> talking about all the sadness that has happened around the rest of the country. But anyway, kind of moving into um, today, we were going to talk about SSE. And I have most of my people that are tuning in from LinkedIn Live. They're all technical people and they know, you know, what SSE is. But for my radio listeners, can you kind of explain what SSE is and what it does and why it's important? Sure. SSE is not uh, actually uh, technology or it's not actually something like, let's say, tangible. It's more of a framework, a framework that was created by Gartner that is part of the SASE or SASE framework. Uh, SASE, which is Secure Access Service Edge, uh, in order to be able to uh, say what SASE is, we need to go a little bit back in time, uh, around, let's say, 20 years ago. Before this uh, cloud infrastructure were a big thing, when cloud technologies were still in their early infancy. Um, well, most of the companies that uh, or organizations that uh, were using the internet or they were interconnecting with each other were using traditional networks, local area networks with uh, probably a couple of routers with switches, a physical firewall and so on. And if they wanted to interconnect, let's say, uh, an office that they have in, in Los Angeles to the to someone that is was connected in uh, New York, another office there to local area networks. They will need to create a, what is called a dedicated line between the uh, internet service providers, 
and they will interconnect practically physically with uh, uh, yeah, like physical lines, copper lines sometimes, some other fibers if, if they were had available. And that was a uh, big, a wide area network that is called back in the day. I mean, there were also MAN and metropolitan area network and so on. But in this case, what we need to focus is on wide area networks. Um, nowadays, that's actually not how it's been done because uh, people started, especially like the big companies starting uh, see, seeing the benefits of going into cloud infrastructure. For example, one of the biggest uh, benefits is that you don't need a physical space. You don't need to rent a, a data center. You need to rent a big office in order to have uh, on-premises servers. You can have them all in, on the cloud infrastructure, but then all the rules, all the cybersecurity best practices and frameworks that they were using when they were using local area networks interconnected via uh, specific uh, lines, well, you could still be using those, but it wasn't ideal. I mean, they were not meant to be done like that. They were just ha uh, somewhat modified uh, rules that they were using in traditional networks that might not fully secure cloud infrastructure. So what Gartner started doing was to start uh, getting all those new technologies and say, okay, how can we secure them? And that's where SASE comes from. So in a nutshell, we can say that a SASE, it's uh, uh, cybersecurity, but tailored, made for wide area network that is software defined and this is very important software defined means that it's not a physical wide area network that before but it means that with a software controller in the middle you can interconnect different uh, offices over the, the open internet but securely so what is sse then well it's the subset of uh, cyber security rules in order that, that uh, help companies and organizations to keep everything safe in their uh, networks. So can you tell us a little bit, Carlos, like what is some of your history and how did you get um, into, like how did you get here and how did you get involved in SSE? And just, I usually try to start with that before we jump into what we're gonna talk about because um, I'd love to hear how you, you started your career and got to where you are. Well, I started my career 15 years ago uh, as part of the incident response team of a business to business uh, ISP in Northern Mexico. And that's where I started to get involved with cybersecurity. Uh, from there, I, I kept uh, going, for example, in roles as database administrator. I started delving a little bit on, on development, uh, system administration, everything, of course, uh, no matter what uh, flavor of uh, IT career you choose, it's always, it has to always be related to cybersecurity because most of the time, if you are a developer and you don't have the right tools on cybersecurity, well, something might go wrong. And all the, the zero-day vulnerabilities that we have seen in the past few years will prove my point. But yeah, after that, I started working with different uh, companies, different uh, fields, uh, 
for example, yeah, I have been working with banks. I have been working with uh, communication companies, startups, and uh, sooner or later, I started getting into the same issues everywhere: uh, cybersecurity related, risk management related. So, by bringing this SaaS framework, it will actually help a lot of those companies to say, okay, we have cloud infrastructure, we have traditional infrastructure. How can we uh, have them both secure? So yeah, there's a lot of different tools inside of uh, SSE, for example, that we can use in order to uh, secure this. So that's where I started uh, delving into it and more and more into it until I got where I'm right now, uh, engineer manager in a cybersecurity company. So uh, what, um, why would companies need What's the benefit for them to have a SSE solution? Well, first of all, uh, cybersecurity is one of the biggest, uh, uh, well, the, the biggest, uh, let's say, solutions that some organizations or companies should be investing in. Because if, for example, a whole cyberspace of a whole country can go down, also uh, an organization that has less resources than a whole uh, country might go down if they don't take care of their cybersecurity solutions. So SSE puts the groundwork, puts the framework to say, okay, do I have this? No. Do I need this? Maybe, depending on your use cases, depending on the type of uh, network you're using. But most of the time, the answer will be yes. Uh, SSE brings a lot of different tools inside of it uh, and also a lot of uh, different uh, uh, frameworks, soft frameworks inside of it. Like we can talk, for example, about ZTNA, uh, Zero Trust Network uh, Access. Uh, practically, this is uh, a tenant that could, you could translate to trust no one. Uh, for example, if I, I try to log into my computer now that I'm using a Nord layer, and I, I try to log in, of course, it will ask me user and password. Okay, I will say I'm Carlos Salas, user password. But then the, the organization will say, hey, I maybe you stole his user and password. How can I know that you are actually Carlos? Well, I have my phone and I have a, a multi-factor authentication. Here you go, there's a code. Okay, cool. But maybe you stole his uh, phone. Uh, with his user and password, how can I really know that it's that uh, that's you? Okay, fine. Here's my fingerprint. Okay, fine. Yeah, I, now I know that you're Carlos, and you can keep going. And this helps a lot. Of, uh, for example, when companies need to deal with uh, uh, public and private data, but of course they don't want it to leak, as a lot of different uh, companies have these super huge uh, data breaches that not only are very costly in terms of uh, uh, like you need to restore all these uh, this, uh, databases, you need to uh, do a post-mortem and close all these backdoors, but it's also very, very expensive in terms of PR, public relations. I mean, if uh, your company leaked information of, uh, let's say, credit cards, how are you going to make those users to trust you again? So. It's very, very important to have a very well controlled environment 
especially by using a zero trust network access. Uh, besides that, of course, uh, not everyone in the company is an IT uh, specialist. It's not a cybersecurity specialist. Uh, so there's also a lot of, you need to uh, create a lot of awareness. But I mean, even to the best expert, you can have uh, a mistake. You, of course, you can make a mistake. So you can click a link that you shouldn't be clicking. You can go to, and I don't know, instead of going to linkedin.com, you go to linkedin.org. And if that was a phishing uh, web page, so then you will have secure web gateway that filters all these uh, attack vectors and, of course, protects the day-by-day business in, in your organization and of course you also don't want uh, your your workers for example to be accessing things that they shouldn't be even if they are inside of your organization so we also have for example in, inside of uh, SSE uh, firewall as a service in which instead of having a dedicated uh, team of network engineers managing all access every day and just uh, try like going up and down, trying to to keep your your private data secure. In this case, you can just with a flip of a switch, with a click of a button, uh, say, okay, this team will be accessing to this, and you start creating uh, policies for all your teams, for all your members. And of course, after that, we also have Cloud uh, Access Security Broker, which is. Uh, barrier between your normal um, yeah, uh, let's say local networks and your cloud-based architecture so anyone has to go through through this in order to reach your cloud act uh, yeah your cloud infrastructure and well data loss prevention of course uh, data loss prevention also has, has to do with uh, data that you have on-premise data that you have stored on the cloud and while the data is traveling around. So no man in the middle attacks, no um, SSL, SSL, SSH uh, brokerage in the middle. So everything should, have, should, should be secure in that. So for example, VPN, uh, it's part of SASE SSE solutions. So I have a question for you, being that you've been all over the world, you've worked in U.S., Mexico, Puerto Rico, Spain, France, Estonia, and now Lithuania. What challenges and problems have you seen between these different countries when people are trying to encounter and secure their networks? Um, What what differences? I mean, because I would assume each each country has their own different challenges. Yes, yes, I will say that uh, not only uh, there are challenges regarding cybersecurity itself, but there's also some challenges in terms of uh, cultural responses to this uh, to these risks. Uh, some countries have more lax understanding of what cybersecurity should be. They're like, no, don't worry, I trust my guys. It's fine. It's uh, it's if you let everyone access this. HR server with all the salaries of all the, the team members. I don't think they will go there. Uh, some other some other places, uh, they are like, you know what? Yeah, we could uh, invest 
into these cybersecurity solutions, or we could say the, man, the upper management that we are already saving, I don't know, uh, twenty thousand uh, dollars because we are actually not buying this software. So there is a lot of challenges also regarding the cultural approaches to cybersecurity, and also there is uh, some challenges regarding uh, cybersecurity culture. Uh, not a lot of, uh, for example, uh, when you are in university, if you are not studying anything related to IT, uh, the information or the forming of your cybersecurity knowledge is, let's say, minimal. So uh, in order to be able to know what's going on in the cybersecurity world, the risk that they might be around, well, it's up to the organizations, it's up to the companies to start giving some trainings regarding that. So, yeah, they, and well, some of those trainings are just like to do a check mark because you need it for the ISO 27001 certification or you need it for uh, some other type of um, uh, consultation with some other some other like uh, PCI if you want to have uh, credit card information on your on your network you need this type of uh, trainings but well you only need to tell the auditors I have it but it's very important that you are actually really getting into these trainings for your your workers because uh, as they say the a chain is as strong as the weakest link. So no matter if you have the best cybersecurity specialists in your company, if none, if not all of the of the workers that you have that you are aware of the cybersecurity risk of doing something, they might do it and they might put everything one, every everyone else at risk. So yeah, it's it's very important to have some uh, knowledge behind. Are you really seeing like that big of a difference between cultural differences in these different countries when it comes to cybersecurity? Yes. Yeah, actually, yeah. There's, as I mentioned, some of uh, these countries' cultural approaches to cybersecurity are just like, ah, it's fine. It, it Don't worry. We are either too small to be uh, targeted by hackers or are too big, like too big to fail, you know? Uh, and for example, Disney was uh, attacked by a ransomware at some point, I think it was 2012. Uh, also, Facebook has been uh, breached a few times. Um, so yeah, I mean, there is no such thing as a big, too big company to be attacked. And there's also no such thing as a too small company to be attacked. Because just as... Uh, like regular criminals, criminal groups, um, cyber criminals also have this type of different type of, uh, let's say, tiers. Uh, there are um, criminal groups, for example, that only target millionaires, and they are only going to be trying to like, kidnap them or uh, getting some ransom from them. And there's also lower tier criminals groups that will just target anyone that is on the street. Uh, it's the same with cybersecurity. There are very high tier, very, very high tier cyber criminals that 
will target only companies like our own Microsoft, Apple, uh, uh, Tesla, and so on, uh, Amazon. But there's also lower tier uh, cyber criminals that will try to just get whatever they, they uh, can from whoever it's, it's available. So it's also very, very important, not only for companies, but for uh, individuals to be also well-versed on the risk of cyber, uh, cybersecurity. So what can you tell us? I know you kind of touched on it earlier, the difference between like a SASE and a SSE. What is the difference between those two? And why should one use one and why should one use the other? Well, in a nutshell, uh, SSE is just a subset of SASE, SASE. Uh, I mean, just by the, the names, you can kind of get what is each of them. Uh, SASE is Secure Access Service Edge, and SSE is Secure Service Edge. The only difference here is access. So practically, SSE deals with everything that is uh, related to cybersecurity, uh, yeah, like firewalls, uh, uh, identities, connections, uh, uh, encryption, and so on. And SASE uh, deals with connectivity. Uh, for example, yeah, creating this software-defined wide area networks. So, so what what are most what are you suggesting people use? What is what do you feel like is the most safest, secure solution to be using? Well, uh, of course, I will I will advise everyone that is listening right now to go full SASE because. That's where the whole uh, cybersecurity framework is uh, built with. But, I mean, you can't start running if you don't know how to walk and you can't walk if you, can, if you don't even know how to crawl. So it's the same approach here in cybersecurity. Uh, you first need to start securing your internal networks and that's where SSE comes from. So I will, for example, say that you can start going to through SSE, start getting all these uh, SSE uh, tools, and little by little start migrating into full SASE. So, what have you been seeing? Like in Lithuania, um, are most are are you still virtual? Are are people in hybrid? Um, are people going back to offices? What challenges are you seeing with the transition of post-COVID and where are you as far as, um, I know here, you know, we have big companies that are back, but, you know, there's huge companies. I don't know what the statistics are, but there's still tons of people remote. Um, what What's it looking like there and what challenges are you still seeing with coming back to work? Well, uh, most of the times, at least on the bigger companies, yeah, they're saying you can come if you feel comfortable because, of course, uh, COVID is still not going away anytime soon. Uh, but, for example, yeah, if you are sneezing or something and you feel kind of bad, don't come to the office and you can come or you can work from home. And uh, now that we know, for example, at least uh, on, as, as we were mentioning, big companies, that uh, numbers are that we got 
from when the cybersecurity, oh, but this uh, uh, COVID pandemic was going on. Well, uh, productivity didn't went down. Everything were, was working as expected. So uh, there's a lot of uh, companies that are saying, okay, let's go hybrid. Uh, some, of, some people will start working from home. Some other people are going to come back to the office. Uh, some teams are going to come once or twice per week and everything else, it's uh, completely remote. So this actually, I think, opened a lot of doors to start getting uh, remote workers because now it, we know that it works. And not only we, but all a lot of companies that I have seen, they are offering this type of solutions. And also, I mean, I think that this is the new normal. Uh, developers in general, actually, that's one of the main things that I have seen uh, so far. Uh, from big companies, for example, of Apple, they have been doing even like massive walk walkouts. Like, you know what? You want me to go to the office? Well, I don't want to. And that other company is offering me remote. So bad luck for you. So yeah, it, I believe that uh, it's very important for organizations to be prepared, first of all, uh, to be to have uh, remote workers. And also uh, you can offer this as a benefit for your workers without, I mean, uh, as so far without losing any, any performance. And actually there are some studies that says that uh, people work more from home because they don't need to go, uh, they don't need to drive or to take a bus or half an hour uh, to go and another half an hour to an hour to come back. So that half an hour or an hour that you go back and forth, you're actually working it. And since you are already working, uh, it's fine for you to stay a little bit longer. Let's say uh, you're, uh, you are going to go out normally at six. If you're at the office at six, you're already out. But if you're working from home, you're like, yeah, sure, I'm already here. I'm going to keep until 6.30, maybe 7. I'm going to finish these spendings. And then, yeah, I can just uh, finish the day. So that's also some of the, the good things that I have seen uh, if you offer remote. But again, you need to know how. And the how is secure. You can just open your whole network and say, hey, hey come on, everyone connect. Uh, that's, that's actually what a lot of companies start doing when COVID first hit because they were not prepared. And as we can also see uh, from the uh, Cybersecurity Italian Association, which is one of the biggest uh, uh, cybersecurity associations in, in Europe, uh, the cybersecurity incidents costs went up from like around 6 billion US dollars per year uh, in 2019-18 to up to 2 trillion US dollars in 2020. So we can see that, yeah, a lot of companies didn't uh, take, for example, SSE as, as their framework. They had some holes here and there, and well, that cost a lot. So are you, do you guys have like, 
different conferences and stuff that you go to in Lithuania are people like coming out and going to, and not just conferences, concerts, you know, you know, whatever kind of sporting events are people going out and getting together in your country now are people still staying at home? No, yeah, they, there has been, there's actually no restrictions anymore regarding uh, gatherings and anything. But I mean, just to put you, uh, to give you an example, uh, just one week ago, uh, I got COVID. And supposedly it was already, the pandemic was over and everything. And I got COVID and my wife got COVID and our baby got COVID. I mean, uh, and in the office, Sometimes here and there, someone say, hey, I'm feeling sick and that's it. Uh, and I'm not going to the office, but it's uh, it's actually still uh, prevalent. I mean, there are still cases going around. So yeah, and it, it's just uh, I need to be safe. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. Like, it's because I run, you know, this these events all over the country, we have every, we do everything in hybrid. So we get people that still email us. I'm not feeling good. I was just exposed to COVID. So they stay home, which is a good thing because they're not, you know, bringing that into the group of people that are at the event. So I was just wondering how that looks when you're, um, if there are people that are in a hybrid workforce and, um, maybe they're completely going back full time and then they have to go back to hybrid. Are there, are you seeing any sort of, again, this whole transition of going pre COVID, everyone going home and then post COVID everyone going back, but then there's still a handful of people virtual, what kind of network issues and what kind of security issues are you seeing? Um, Are you seeing more rise now that people are going back to work and you still have you know, a trickle effect of people that are still at home? Well, uh, mainly because when, the, when this pandemic was going, a lot of companies started in, in now investing in this type of uh, like connectivity solutions uh, with VPNs and uh, wide, uh, wide area networks uh, with software-defined wide area networks and everything. Now companies are prepared for this type of events. And... Even companies that say, okay, you know what? Everyone come, everyone has to come back to the office. They still have, of course, they already invested in it. So they still have the possibility if one or two people or a team gets infected, they can go home and work from home if they want to. So they still have this, this open door to go back and forth uh, to hybrid or to complete remote or to complete in the office. Uh, but knowing that their connections are going to be safe and there's not going to be any major uh, uh, cybersecurity risk. So um, what are your goals right now and your goals with the company you're with, Nordlayer? What, what, is your, what are you guys trying to accomplish on a day-to-day mission? Well, I think that as every other cybersecurity company, of course, we are uh, striving to try to help people, help other companies to stay safe, of course. And of course, we are also offering uh, some extra features, like for example, uh, using Nord Layer is practically plug and play. Uh, you just get uh, 
NorLayer app on your phone, you get NorLayer app on your uh, computer. Right now, for example, I'm using it. And that's it, you're already connected. And uh, you can get a private gateway with a dedicated IP. You uh, allow list that in your cloud vendor, could be any cloud vendor, AVS, AWS, uh, Azure, uh, any, any cloud vendor actually. And that's it. You just connect into NordLayer, your gateway from your computer and you have access to your cloud. You didn't have to do anything uh, besides just a single configuration file on your, on your uh, cloud vendor and that's it. So that's actually, I think that's the, the way cybersecurity is going to evolve to because uh, yeah, all those days back like 10 years ago, even five years ago where you need a full, fully fledged uh, network uh, engineer team in order to start going into sites, different sites, uh, putting cables everywhere, uh, controlling everything through a console directly into the router. Those are getting less and less uh, common and they are even being called legacy solutions. Nowadays with the cloud the infrastructure, it's just a matter of, I want a new server, click, you have a new server. I want a new IP, click, you have a new IP. So this uh, type of uh, uh, solution, the software as a service is uh, what we are striving for, what we want to go more and more forward. And of course, getting new features uh, as, as we go. So you guys, NordLayer published um, a global remote work index for Germany, Denmark, US, Spain, Lithuania, up to type five top countries. Can you tell us what this is about? Yeah, sure. Uh, the data uh, science uh, teams on NordLayer uh, started doing some research uh, based on a lot of different variants uh, about the best countries to be working remotely from. So for example, now that uh, companies already have this freedom of deciding, you know what? Okay, you can come to the office or you can work from your home or maybe why not? You can go on vacations and work from there, do a workation. This is actually a very, very interesting topic that uh, a lot of companies are adopting. So we did a list of the best countries to be working from based on security, not only cybersecurity, but security itself, because a lot of people uh, forget that cybersecurity also uh, encompass physical security. If you can't, if you can be sure that you if you leave your computer here, go for a coffee and come back, it's going to still be here. It's also part of cybersecurity. Also, um, the touristic appeal, the place, of course, um, the cost of living there, rent cost, and so on. And well, finally, infrastructure. The, if, if you are going to be working remotely, you are going to be connecting, let's say, uh, your offices in, in California, in LA, and you are going to be working remotely from, uh, let's say, Bali. Then is Bali's infrastructure prepared for you to be connecting with a high-speed internet connection all the way to the United States through 
uh, VPN? Maybe no. That's the only way to find. I mean, it's it's going into the global remote work index, and, and then you can search by cost, by security, by touristic appeal, and so on. So it's it's actually a very good tool for those type of companies that offer this uh, uh, workation benefits, and also for people that are in those companies that want to see where they can work from. So that would. So what are what are some of the pros and cons if you are going on vacation, you know, of working remotely? Because most people, especially in our industry, they don't have a choice when they're on vacation. It's hard to shut their laptop down. Yeah, exactly. So, well, first of all, uh, it will have to do also with the risk assessment, the risk assessment team. They will need to know that you are going to be somewhere and that you might uh try to connect from that place. So first of all, they will need to give you a green light. After that, if they are okay with that, then uh, you as, as uh, the main responsible of your equipment and your uh, credentials in order to access uh, critical information, for example, or critical system servers, uh, you need to also make sure that the place you are going to be, it's safe enough for you and for your devices, because no matter if you are confident on your own, uh, yeah, no, for example, let's say in my case, I'm from Mexico. And Mexico, if you go to this Global Remote Work Index, it's not very up and in the scale, mainly because of uh, security, safety. I know that, for example, cybersecurity is good enough. It's big, it's, it's uh, there. There's also good infrastructure, uh, well, depending on the, on the cities that you're going to be. Touristic places, not that much, but in big cities, it's, it's very good. But I wouldn't feel comfortable carrying my computer everywhere. Uh, I will feel that uh, someone will steal it from me or that I might uh, lose it if I just look around and look away for a second. So. It's up to the risk assessment teams on the, your organization and, of, of course, on yourself to know the risks and to be able to either accept the risks or decide on some other place to, to work from. Um, for example, one of the, the main places, I think the number one place, it's the United States. Uh, it's, yeah, of course, there are some let's say in, in LA, you can say, okay, this place, I might not want to go there because it's, let's say not very, not dangerous, but not also not very safe. Uh, but if I don't go out from uh, this side of, of, of I don't know, part, uh, from Hollywood, I will be fine. Or if I'm on East LA, might not be ideal, but if I'm uh, working from La Bria Mall, I might be good there. So yeah, it, it's up for you and for the, the secure teams to decide. And Canada is also one of the, the main ones. Spain is also one, Germany. And then you can keep going and going. And I think one of the last ones, it's uh, Morocco and some other uh, countries. I think Egypt also because of the also, cybersecurity is a big risk there. Well, that's interesting. Have you ha have you been on 
you know, any kind of vacation recently. Like I know I was in Mexico and, you know, I, I don't know what the vulnerabilities are in Mexico. Um, what, is there something personal you've experienced that's kind of put out, put a red flag up to you and what would like our listeners, what should they be looking for? Well, uh, we can take as an example, one very big profile hack that happened, I think, last week or no, it was this week actually. Uh, the Sedena, which is kind of like the, um, the the national defense uh, office, was hacked. Uh, practically, the military was hacked. So, <laughs> if they can be be hacked from the inside, I mean. It's a, it's a very high risk for uh, workers. And uh, in that hack, there were some leaks that uh, the government was actually spying on some people, some like uh, um, some re uh, researchers were spied, some uh, feminist associations were spied, some uh, people that were working to find uh, uh, disappeared, uh, not disappeared, like uh, uh, kidnapped people uh, were also uh, spied. So yeah, the, the, it was a very high profile hack. So that might not be very ideal for, for working from there. And speaking about uh, physical security, uh, it's, uh, for example, if you are in touristic places, it's completely fine, it's completely normal. But uh, uh, infrastructure, most of the time in those places is not the best because those are not prepared for business type. Uh, but for more uh, yeah, touristic. So it, you don't really need a like, very high speed. But if you go to, uh, to cities like Mexico City, uh, Monterey, Guadalajara, uh, they're a little bit uh, less safe. And then, for example, you can be in a very safe place, but in order to get to another safe place, you need to go through not very safe uh, environments. So, yeah, that, that could happen. So what would you say to our viewers, because we're getting close to wrapping up here, like what would your advice be on a day-to-day -day basis? And I know that we were talking about SSE as um, – what last words would you want to leave with them as far how to keep their company safe, keep their own devices safe, keep their home environment safe? What what would your final words to our listeners be? Uh, my final words, I think, will be if you are not uh, already embracing SSE or SASE into your uh, cybersecurity stack, then start right now because this is what uh, the future will bring. Uh, more and more companies are already going almost even fully to cloud. And in order to be able to connect safely to your cloud, you need uh, SSE solutions and SASE solutions. So don't leave it uh, for next quarter or next year. Try to at least do some research and try to at least do some, uh, uh, yeah, just try to get some quotes even uh, for services that that might help your company to overcome very uh, critical cybersecurity issues. And for example, uh, Nordlayer is one of them. You can go to nordlayer.com 
and you can see all the benefits that you can get from our company. Okay, Carlos Salas, he's um, an engineering manager from Nordlayer. You guys can find him on LinkedIn. And thank you for being on the show today and sharing your information with us. Um, Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. I hope you all have a great weekend and stay safe, stay secure, enjoy the weather out there and do something with your family and have a wonderful weekend. And we'll see you all next Friday. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events. Are you a cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? FutureCon Events brings high-level cybersecurity training discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at futureconhq. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host seamless podcast started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher.